Hello, everyone, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Watches, not reads, watches, His Dark Materials, Season Slash Series 3, Episodes 3 and 4, The Intention Craft, and Lyra and Her Death. I am one of your hosts, Eliana. And I am another one of your hosts, Chloe. Welcome back to another week of us girls going canon watching not reading as eliana commented very beautifully done eliana never read so smooth (laughs) oh my god in her life in her life yeah welcome back to our his dark materials podcast that if you haven't listened to us before you may have heard us covering the original trilogy his dark materials northern light slash the golden compass the subtle knife and the amber spyglass or La Belle Sauvage, the first book of Dust, with plans to cover the second book of Dust, Secret Commonwealth, in the far future from today. Not 19 years in the far future, not like that, you know? Or yeah, not 19, yeah, what yeah. is it? Just f- nine years or whatever that time skip is. Yeah, take future and you just hold that within you. You know, the future is what you believe it'll be, but that will be coming from us as well, and from our A Song of Ice and Fire podcast, where we covered the A Song of Ice and Fire books, POV chapter by POV, as well as House of the Dragon, which we have covered in full from 1 to 10 of season 1. Welcome back. Now, Eliana, the listeners at home may not have known all that, but what should they know about our spoiler policy? What are they going to hear on this podcast about the intention craft and Lyra and her death? Yes. So we told you all those books that we read and covered together as a podcast, whether or not you're with us, we were together with other people, maybe. And we are going to discuss the books pretty much in full, right? So if you are coming into this watch along of this uh, podcast, like having never read the books and you don't know what's going to happen because maybe you did not read spoilers or anything, come back at the end of the season, right? Because we are going to be spoiling things. We are going to be discussing the series in in full. And that is also what it was like when we covered the first few seasons because they mixed and mashed, you know, some, some moments from the different books for the story adaptation. So we might discuss also, uh, we might discuss... Uh, some of the other stuff, but Chloe, let let us know like how that's going to work. Yeah, what we're going to discuss at most, besides the main trilogy, we may discuss the lantern slides that come in at the end of some fragmented notes from Pullman's brain. They're in the published works of 07 and later, which are some fun pieces. Very rarely, we might refer to some novellas, some of the outer novellas, which we've also covered over on our Patreon. We'll tell you about that in one sec. And uh, I'll, I'll try to keep any spoilers outside of that to a minimum personally. There are, and this is a big warning for today's episode, Hope I don't know if it's only, it might be the rest of the season too, but there are some secret commonwealthy moments. And I'm not going to like go far into detail during them, but I'm going to be like, huh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll talk about them at the very end, which if you listen to our usual episodes, we have what's called a discussion. So yes, we might bring back that discussion at the very end to mention some of those secret Commonwealth thoughts. Yeah. So, and, and some of those thoughts pair well with things later anyway. So we'll warn you about Mm -hmm. when that happens, but also along with that, you know, because we are discussing both episodes three and four together, 
some of our thoughts about episode four may bleed into our discussion of episode three. So if you are, you know, like taking your time and you haven't watched episode four yet as you tune into us, also know that. I would not want you to get spoiled because I think the devastation feels way better when you experience it all at once, right? Yes. <sighs> all at once. And hey, that said, patreon.com slash girls gone canon just to shake the little jar at you real quick we have some really cool perks like bonus episodes every month for patrons in the stranger tier and above while we also cover the a song of ice and fire series and we are covering this month for our bonus episode george rr martin's the ice dragon novella technically not like pullman's novellas his short stories too uh we have tons of HDM-related bonus content that you can unlock by becoming a Stranger to Your Patron, like all of those novellas, as mentioned. Every single one of them so far we've done, including Serpentine and including the Imaginarium Station <laughs> of Everything. What is it called? What imagination is it called? Yeah, imagination Chamber. Uh, I actually had to think about it. Imagine I was like, the Chamber. I was like, she did say Imaginarium. I was like, that sounds right. Then I was like, no, that was wrong. That was wrong. <laughs> I just don't think I'm ever going to get it right, is the problem. And we also covered a moment, other novellas such as Lyra's Oxford and Once Upon a Time in the North. Once Upon a Time in the North. And then also uh, even, um, what was it? Kind of a novella. What, the Collectors. The Collectors. The Collectors. And, re-released this year. Yeah. And that one's public now. So check that out. Our patrons unlocked it for you. So funny enough, regarding series two... Jack Thorne today tweeted about, um, you know, based off of an article that I guess released slash was re-released yesterday about that standalone episode in series two that got cut because they couldn't film it because of COVID, right? Mm. And mm -hmm. we also we also had a discussion about that as well. We, we did an episode about what we think that standalone story of Asriel in season two might have entailed. Yeah, we'll link that below. And that is for patrons in that stranger tier and above. And I don't know, I really loved doing that episode. It was fun gathering kind of some articles and piecing together some interviews and some of what we know of the subtle knife and what we don't know between the subtle knife and the amber spyglass. Yeah, I saw Energy UK, who is famous for piecing together what was originally the concept for the Golden Compass movie. Right, or or he he did play a hand mm -hmm. in piecing that together. He was like, Could you at least release it yeah. as an audio drama? And then someone else who is Brilliant. who is a storyboard artist for like Doctor Who and other other shows like that was like Do you want me like he, he was like, I could make it a digital graphic novel and we can just release it and I'm like, Yes, yes, please, any of these things. If any of you are listening, yes. I will take any medium that this could be released in. And also, I just love the idea of, like, reimagining the story in all these different ways, right? Like, it's a story that's in love with art and would love to see any sort of artistic ad adaptation of, of that. Storyboard art is really important to Doctor Who, and that's actually something I really love about Bad Wolf Productions in general. Uh, they, they've kind of all evolved from a bunch of people that had ties through the BBC and kind of connected with a lot of those shows like Doctor Who that's hosted there. And there was actually a really great episode in series seven of Doctor Who that had a scene or a collection of scenes that didn't quite make it a storyboard actually wrapping up kind of some plot points that they put out as an animated storyboard. And it was really emotional. It was very moving. It was very interesting. 
voice acted and really well done. So I would love to see it as that. I would love to see it come back to life. And there was also an actress that he mentioned he works with in that, Joanne Froggett or Joe Froggett, who was Anna Bates in Downton Abbey and Aww. has been in a bunch of other shows. So I'm I'm kind of curious what that role is. Interesting. Is it an angel or a, a person or a, who knows what it is, but... I mean, maybe it's the person he meets when he gets to this other world as he starts to get his little republic started. Yeah, maybe like someone who is helping guide him through Chittagatse and stuff. Navigate the world, his his kind of guy. Yeah, I can see that. His Balthamos. Yeah. Last spiel, if you want to sign up to become a patron <laughs> and you want to throw us $10, hit up the Thunder tier, you get access to our private Discord server for pretty much life. And uh, that said, we threw some ragers, and by ragers, I mean a monthly brunch slash happy hour full of shenanigans and games. This week's is actually, there's one happening this week. This month's is happening in just a few days after recording this and putting it out. So uh, if you want to join up and chat with everyone and hang out and just talk about life and play some reindeer games, 12, 18, 2 to 4 p.m. Or 18, 12 if you're on the other side of the pond. Ah, good call, Eliana. Thank you, thank you. You know, I just converted it in my head. Oh, you're a convert. You're a UK convert. Absolutely, absolutely. I didn't know they just accepted converts like us. I don't think they do. (laughs) Uh, And then also we'll be doing some, I think, rewatches. It sounds like some of the patrons want to start doing some rewatches of season three in January. Oh, nope, I converted back. I said season. Look at that. Oh my god, you are so American, girlfriend. It's kind of weird, the disjointed release schedule. It's funny because all of us are like, damn, we feel like you all are literally across, like you're very far, you're in another world, if you will, from us. Like, we had to separate from you guys. Did the London premiere today, if I'm, or something like that. Yeah, tonight was the London, or today. Yeah, yeah, that was the London premiere, and everybody looked very dashing. Uh, Ruth wore a gorgeous dress Daphne, oh my god, those gloves, you scandalous but very lady lady. And Amir looked great. Everyone looked great that I saw. I didn't uh, get to look at more. After after we record, I'm going to check out the tag on Twitter. Yeah, I am sad that Philip Pullman doesn't seem to have been able to attend, though, because he had another event already scheduled, so it's a bummer. No. Well, I hope he's definitely gotten to watch. Yeah. We watched. We watched. We so watched. And I gotta know. Favorite scene, overall rating of the episodes, what do you got? I don't know if I can, like, think of a favorite scene for this week, the same, like, as last week. It was just, like, everything kind of goes together, and I don't know, uh, maybe Lyra and Yorick's reunion. That had me really feeling things. You know, everyone loves, knows that I love Yorick Burnison, so I think that might have been my favorite, them hugging upon seeing each other again. Yeah, I liked these two episodes. Um, I, I definitely placed them above last week, but that's purely subjective, and that's honestly due to, I think they had a lot of hurdles to kind of get around. They had, like, you know, they had to get through that gap and the the kids growing and the suspension of disbelief and, like, back into the story. And here's the world and here's the re-world building because it's been so long. They had a lot to challenge them. This week felt like those challenges were gone in a lot of ways. And it felt like they were able to really jump into the thick of it and adapt their way through it. I even found, especially on rewatch, like, I liked it a lot more on rewatch I would say favorite scenes, 
Marisa and Asriel. It's been ages. Those were fun. It's been years. Yeah. Oh my god, we needed those, and it was intense, and you can see kind of the passion, but also that that venom between them, the, that toxicity very loud and clear, and it was perfect in that, and the, uh, for, for dusty reasons, discussion reasons, we'll call them, some of those little nods that came through in her getting her mother's wardrobe. Mm-hmm. That was an emotional scene for her. Uh, the slam, just the fucking Ruth Wilson. My God, ladies, days and gays. Ruth Wilson, the slam on the wardrobe, the ba-boom. Oh my God, chills. Yeah, she she killed it this episode. I love her going destruction. Oh, that was so good too. Like both that and the slamming, those mm-hmm. were the moments to rival season two's I was talking about me. Because that was like, that was a masterclass. Nothing will ever top Ruth Wilson staring at Carlos, just being like, I was talking about me. But those were like masterclass. They can go in the top 10 moments. They were up there. They were good. Very good. Yeah. I was here for Ruth Wilson. She had me. Hook, line, sinker. Yeah, she did great. Yeah, I think everyone's doing like really, really strong work, you know, in these episodes. And uh, I mean, also another one is uh, Kit Connor. Kit Connor, yeah. Kit Connor did a great job too, considering that, you know, he has to act as a little animal, right? And just like voice act with all these people. So like, I thought he had he me. did a great job too. I was a mess and I didn't, I yeah. didn't think I was going to be, you and I were just talking, you know, we've just been a little tired, you know, life's tiring with these many episodes. We don't get this whole uh, pacing thing to, to tide us through, not a one a week, so we gotta kind of take off a lot and chew a lot, and that was, I didn't know if I was gonna cry or not, and then, like, as I was sobbing ferociously into my cat, who, both times I rewatched it, got into my lap, I'm like, this is not helping me, I would never, never part from you, Allison. I was just sobbing into her fur, it was pretty funny. Like, looking back, I'm like, damn, I'm a mess. It was me when I leave for the holidays to go visit my family and I'm leaving my house. I'm a mile away and I'm like, no. And you're like, Allie. I'm going to meet you there. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, it was. Just a, meet me at my father's. Yeah, it was. I feel like I knew I was going to be sad, right? But I didn't. They really hit it well. And they warned us in the middle of the episode. And we'll talk about that. But Let's start, you know, like how we get there with Lyra dreaming of Roger in the land of the dead and Pan while they have a talk. Yeah, episode three, The Intention Craft, written by Jack Thorne, opens with them there. And I want to argue, it's not just the middle of the episode they warn us, they warn us at the beginning. They warn us, they've been warning right? us since last week. <sighs> yeah, they've been warning us since season one, series That's one. That's true. Sorry, That's we're true. okay now. But... I digress. I I love the trees here. Um, It made me think of, like, the antithesis of, like, the trees with Mary later, with the trees Mm. with dust. Yeah. Versus these trees that are bone white and empty, right, that they're walking against. And the bone white just quality of the whole world, and it's devoid of color, and it's devoid of dust, Yeah, I'd say. Nothing's growing. Everything is barren here where they've awakened. Uh, But I do love it. I think it's beautiful. It was uh, just a cool set to see them against. I thought the color difference and the outfits were were really stark. I really like those contrasts, and they look great against this color, too. Or non-color, I should say. Yeah. Pan says to Lyra, he says, What woke you? And she goes, I've slept enough, which I'm pretty sure is a reference to aliens. Mm, Right, to uh, Ripley. Yeah, she gets asked, Do you want something to help you sleep? And she says, No, I've slept enough. Yeah. 
she's a, a badass already you know she's got her little this episode she's got her tank top she is yeah she's classic yeah that's a i think a what ripley ripley kind of outfit but also i mean she has slept yeah. enough right like aren't we always talking about in the books we're like i can't believe lyra's asleep again holy shit and then she sleeps for a long ass time thanks to her mom i'm glad they accept the most canon parts of the story i'll let them adapt anything all because they make sure lyra sleeps <laughs> yeah that's true it's important there's a moment right after she says, no, I've slept enough, where she ties her hair up. And that means it's time to get down to business. But it does remind me of another child that seems to have a lot of unfortunate things happen to them, which is Violet Baudelaire from a series of unfortunate events. Oh. Is uh, Her master move is she ties her hair up and then she can create inventions, which so oh. I, I don't know. There's a there's a reference later from another child's story ish or youth story that you're going to talk about. So I thought maybe they had a couple of little, you know, I think they're paying a few tributes here and there to our heroines. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a fun, that's a fun catch. Like, I only read, I think, one of those books, and it was not the first one. Uh, someone just, oh. someone just gifted me, like, the third one for no reason. I was like, all right, sure. So I was just thrown in the middle, and yeah, it was, it was fun, but I don't remember anything about it. You know what? They actually kind of hold up. I've reread a few of I've them. Heard, I've heard, I've heard that. They're terrible. Like, I love them. Like, they're a good terrible. And I do recommend the Netflix series. It's a really good adaptation if you Hmm. are looking for a faithfully-ish adapted book series. Hmm. uh, HDM and Series of Unfortunate Events, I highly recommend. Word. Both had terrible first movies, thanks to budget and thanks to cinema and uh, studio. And both then got a chance at Resurrection and killed it. So, congrats. I didn't even remember. I did not remember that they had a movie. Oh my god, I just blocked that out. But I wasn't. I also wasn't. I wasn't looking for it, so that might be also why I don't remember it. I don't. I do not remember it. I mean, like also, like I said, I only read the third book. That was <laughs> out of nowhere. It's time for Eliana yeah. to read these books. Oh no, it's my childhood now, Eliana. Oh my what gosh, we feel? could do that. We could do that. I hear they're fun. They're short. They're fun. Yeah, they are fun. They are fun. And like, highly recommend them. Yeah, someone also gifted me, what, the second book? Or was it also the third book of, like, Madeline Langle's series, you know, the Wrinkle in Time books? And uh, I did eventually read the first one, though, so it's fine. Well, those were good. Fucked me up a little as a kid. Yeah, they, they, they have some really fun ideas. Um, and, and you can see, like, how, you know, people were exploring those kinds of ideas, right? Like, with, with these sorts of books and those other worlds, things like that. Yeah. At that time. and I love reading with you. <laughs> Yeah, we have anyway. fun. We have fun. What, except for these days, episodes. Except for these episodes. These were really sad. Like, for example. Damn you, Jack Thorne. Lyra is very clearly hiding things from herself, right? Like, Pan's like, what's wrong? And she's like, it's nothing. And I'm like, oh. She's not being honest with herself. And I did love the little detail, though, of, like, when she wakes up and she looks at Pan. She's looking at, like, Will and Pan kind of, like, sadly. But Pan is snuggled up next to Will. So kind of touching him. And I was like, whoa, that's scandalous yeah they're they're really playing up how pan is thinking that he should be by lyra right he's like we're gonna go do everything together of course right you know compared to like how they were at the end of the first season they're like we'll always have each other and lyra's like uh uh and it really makes it feel even more like uh, a betrayal as it was supposed to be and as it is in the books right but it really 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 plays it up yeah it's really well done, uh, and and once more we'll get to it. But there's like a great contrast of Marisa herself experiencing 
somewhat of a betrayal, not really a betrayal, but like having a similar scene in many beats. And they're really pairing those stories so well together that it makes it flow perfectly. I'm not really a fan. Oh my god, this is a hot take. I like them, they're fine. I don't personally need the magisterium scenes. Like other people can have them, but I don't care usually. But with Marisa back in them, I do. Yeah. And I think they're there because they are paying these people it. and they are signed on for contracts. And they're good scenes. Yeah. It's weird. Like it's not like they're bad scenes. I mean, Will Keen is putting his whole entire everything. Yeah into this like him like last week staring at the wall dissociating being like oh, i serve a higher power uh in this episode he says a bunch of shit that i'm like oh you crazy crazy son but i just don't usually get off on them like i want the sadness I, me and you were just talking like we're weird we're fucked up we yeah. love being sad and i love the heartache of these two episodes but that said, with Marisa back in the play, it makes me love these scenes, right? Because Gomez, this is a quick one. He walks up very seriously in the Magisterium. He's like, I've failed, McPhail. <laughs> and he suggests they use more manpower, mm-hmm. like a bomb, to eradicate eradicate, yeah. Lyra. And it's like real quick. And then intro dance break, right? You get a... Is it is it one of these episodes if we don't sing the intro at least a little bit? No, it's not. I keep putting it in because I feel like it's important. It, it is important, but I, I agree regarding the magisterium scenes. They they have a lot more weight and interest with Maurice back in them. I also liked them when like Lord Boreal was there. You know, I think that. Yeah, they brought like this really like undercurrent to it. It's hard because the Magisterium is like you're all C-listers, right? You're not Marisa, you're not Carlo, you're not Asriel, you're yeah. not Lyra. And I don't mean it's that hard. in a bad like, way. I'm just you know, no. they're not like C-list actors. That's not what we're saying. We're just like no, no, they're C-list characters. Yeah. they're like you don't you want to see them be bad, and then you want to watch your heart get broken, and so they have a lot to fill, and they do a great job. I mean. God, Will Keen is killing it. Um, baby Kristen Cole, he's killing it. We love baby Kristen Cole. Do the we? internet has started catching oh, on to it. Yeah, I've noticed. No, uh, we hate him. You're, uh, you're making fetch talk about it, And I'm like, <sighs> I should stop trying to make fetch happen. No, Youth Hitler is catching on. And Youth Hitler Kristen Cole, sorry, that's his full name, is catching on. And he is really carrying a lot of this with Will. Like, they're both really doing a great job. Um, and, and there was even some humor at the Magisterium today. I think this episode was where the Magisterium really started to work for me this season, though. Last last two episodes, it was there, it was good, but I could have done without it. I could have, like, cut one or two, is all. Like, one or two. Just one or two. It's so funny, now that you were talking about, like, the, the connections with how he does feel like a Hitler youth character. That is something that kind of inspired, you know, not to spoil too many things from... The Book of Death, but it's a prequel series, so I don't La feel Belle as bad. Savage. Yeah, and LaBelle La Belle Sauvage, like the, the the idea of the League of Saint Alexander. I'm like that kid, that man was definitely Dude. that man was definitely really he really was a into youth pastor. Is that what they said? Or what? I'm just no, I'm saying it. He was a youth pastor for the League of Saint Alexander. I'm telling you, that boy grew up in that church area. He is like I think even before a youth pastor, like I think he's of an age where he could have definitely been one of the children in school oh, who yeah. was uh who was very active in the Saint 
the League of St. Alexander. Woo, I keep trying to say St. Alexander first. I'm like, no, League of St. Alexander. <laughs> it's like religious, or it's like very religious Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, basically, that tell on everyone. Even more religious than <laughs> them. Like, take what yeah. you're thinking about religious and multiply it by 20. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's a, if you haven't read it, no spoilers, but check it out. It's a great, I mean, La Belle Sauvage is honestly a brilliant book. So if you haven't read it, I, I it was a very comforting book. It was a great book to read. I, I really liked it for the most part. There are some things that I'm sure I have qualms with, but I love most of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the Magisterium doesn't shine because it's placed next to scenes like this one. Azriel has kept Mrs. Coulter locked up. He gives her less uncomfortable ties and I swear to fucking god. I swear to fucking god. I swear to fucking god. They I'm like, knew what they were I'm like, doing. This they is knew. not this is they not knew. the first time that they have done this. I was like, this is not the first time. And for some reason they have made us part of their like bondage kink. It's very sexy. It's very sexy. And then they start discussing like their prophecy daughter. Kind of sexy, too, in some ways, when you think about it, because, like, love is sexy. But And also how Lady Selmachia is out there watching over her. And I'm just... Yeah. Very sexy. Why was it so sexy? Look, it was. why was it so sexy? Okay, if you want to know how our live <laughs> chats go during the episode, it's just Eliana messaging me, like, no, Pan. And then it's me messaging her back, like, why not Coulter and Asriel fuck again? And that's pretty much the episode. And I'm like, but the- this is the foreplay. <laughs> Asriel and Mrs. Coulter were like, this is just them. This is just their foreplay. They're they they're really into it. They're really into this long role play. I also love that like when he first gets her, that she's just been kept in a fucking shipping container. <laughs> I think it's just I think it's just so funny to imagine her in a shipping container. When you strip it, <laughs> when you strip it of the sheer kink of it all, when you you know you stop looking you at can't. it as. But if you try to separate the two things, Eliana, just try for a moment. Mm-hmm. If you if you try to separate these things and you also look at that, like it's a power play. He absolutely has the power over yeah. her, which is their cat and mouse relationship. Right? Look kink. at the whole in series one. That's their whole kink. That's what they're okay, yeah, it does come back to kink. Fuck you're right. But great relationship work in BDSM today. <laughs> Class dismissed. Anyways, so besides the great relationship work, uh, I want to talk about Two things. Two things. Marisa's locket. I love it. Uh, In series one, she had a locket that was like, it almost looked like the magisterium symbol, but a little pointier and could have been like an alethiometer-esque symbol if Hmm. you really think about it. So that was really interesting. It's beautiful. It has a few jewels in it. It's really nice, really delicate. She wears it like in her apartment with Lyra. This locket is different. And we know it's an important locket for other reasons, probably. I'm sure. I'm sure. Actually, there's a whole nother locket, but... This locket has like a design on it that are swirls and it's gold and it's almost like an hourglass or even reminiscent of the alethiometer and dust. Mm, uh, the swirls are very cool. distinct and it's not it's not pointy. Yeah, it's very not adjacent at all to the magisterium sigil. Mm. That's a that's a cool like observation. Yeah, I didn't see all that, but I mean, she she's getting a little softer and obviously the swirls are important. Yeah. The dust is important. And now now she got, like, themed jewelry. She was like, what if it was inspired more by my daughter? Even her outfits, right? Not just Cottagecore Witch from last <laughs> episode, but also this episode, her outfits are, like, softer. Even 
later the outfit for my mother it's royal it's purple but also the sleeves are rounded they aren't very like sharp on her it's not very sharp it's not her yes she's wearing her hell and high heels heels but she's not wearing the blazers that keep her contained in a cage she's not caging herself in anymore in fact that purple top later that blouse in episode four it's flowing yeah right like she's flowing she is you know if lyra's eve in another world is Marisa Gaia, like she's really getting it. And hey, Ruth's outfit tonight, you gotta look at her dress from Ooh, I haven't the seen premiere. Yet. Yeah. It's also floral. I'm like, mm. wow, wow, wow. Mother Gaia, we love you, mother. And I love that uh her heels were pretty cool too. There were a lot of close-ups of it, and I was like, yeah. And I love her uh little I think it's a one piece. I think it's like a romper not romper, it's like a jumpsuit. I couldn't tell. But it's very yeah. It's very neutral, which is great because, like, she's in the middle of these great betrayals, this episode of going back and forth, going back and forth, and playing and exploiting these connections to find what the right path to protect her daughter is. Yeah. So she has to play neutral. She has to wear this little safari outfit that's also neutral. Yeah. I mean, she was wearing safari outfits last, yeah, last, last season for a lot of that hunt. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. Somehow she made, like, their fucking uniform look very stylish. And I'm like, ooh, the hardware, like of it was like this goldish color that pairs well with the locket i'm like how is this how is this a look it is a look but i'm like how did she make it a look amazing talent so lyra and will discuss what mrs culture did to lyra which which was bad she's bad um (laughs) after we had this entire discussion and how will's dad died and also like confronting Slamakia's spying of them and then they have to figure out what to do about the knife like do they take it to asriel or like do they go to the land of the dead? I love that when she opens the alethiometer, she's like, it always comes back to me. Till it doesn't. Yeah. Later. <laughs> That's going to be sad, too. What the fuck? <laughs> Everything about this is... Anyways, I'm so sad. This is really good conflict to add to the story, and it works because in the books, this is absolutely something that happens, but it's on a different scale because they're like younger Mm -hmm. like obviously younger and it's different when you have obviously 17 plus year old children yeah unquote it's one thing to have a 27 year old for gossip girl going to high school you can almost suspend that disbelief but children are different i get it yeah that said like on especially on rewatch i was like this is a perfect way to leverage your tension between them and to make it more adult it becomes more of an adult thing it's something they've never gotten to confront about their lives right like they've never gotten to confront will hasn't gotten to heal at all he's been busy searching for lyra he doesn't even know his dad let alone how to grieve his dad let alone grieve his relationship with his mother which is really why the knife has broken right there's a lot of really complex feelings and a lot of feelings that you don't usually understand at age 15 through 18 and even and it's not just, like, it's that, plus, as you said, like, he doesn't know how to grieve his dad because he, in a way, spent a lot of his life already grieving his father's loss, right? Only to find out, wait, he was alive, like, but his dad didn't know how to get back to them and all that, and and then suddenly that hope is there for two seconds, and then it's gone. Like, what a mindfuck. Yeah, and, and I mean, Lyra doesn't know how to love is a problem. You know what I mean? Like, if, yeah. if she doesn't, like... This is something, like, she she knows she has issues, because how could she not, like, look at her papa? <laughs> and mama. <laughs> look at her mama. <laughs> they are not the best examples, and she feels so alone, right? So, like, you feel equal parts hurt, because you're like, Will, my poor baby, you are suffering. And you're like, but Lyra is suffering, too. She doesn't know 
she doesn't understand. Of course she feels alone. Yeah, and yeah, but it, it is a really great exchange between the two of them, right? That they, they talk about those feelings, and I think it's a great mm-hmm. way to show the deepening of their relationship, which I think they're doing a wonderful job of really playing up. And I, I love that before they go off to talk, right, when Will first wakes and he's like, where, kind of, where is he? Right. He has this look of relief mm-hmm. and joy when he sees that Lyra is there. And then they, like, she's like, you're staring. And he's like, yeah. So they're really like starting to build that sort of romantic tension that's meant to be between them. And I think you said this when, you know, as you were saying, we, we kind of live message each other every now and then. But there are those parallels with Asriel and Mrs. Coulter. Because both of them say to the other, uh, in this scene, Will and Lyra say to one another, like, oh, you're kind of different now, right? And that's what Asriel and Mrs. Colger said to one another in the scene before. And also, I want to I wanna acknowledge this is something that we discussed last episode. And I don't know, I, I kind of complained about it. It was, it was a complaint, I guess, of how that knife-breaking scene was shot and the ambiguity around it. But they made it explicit in this one. They said aloud that he, it broke because Will was thinking of his mother. Yes, they told this time because they were worried that their show wasn't enough tell. Well, okay, but turns out they were right based on how some other people yeah. who didn't read the books interpreted it. So that I think it's good that they did that. And that said, they do other things this episode that tie it all together, right? Because then the forging in general that we'll get to is beautiful and it works out. I think that works out really well to show instead of tell, so. Yeah. Anyways, the foreshadowing of the separation that's to come between Pan and Lyra you know, Pan gets a little too far on the log, right? And he jumps and transforms into a magpie. Our friend Cassidy confirmed oh. it for me. because so I was like, is that a magpie? It looks like a magpie. Uh, so that was that was painful. Very painful. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't know if that's the bird that I'm thinking of that we saw because uh, for one of the magpie ones, like, and then they show a shot of him flying, right? And, like, his feathers had this great sheen to it that was kind of the way that the shine on the subtle knife is described and even like the fur of kerjava i would say oh multicolored and you know what not just that but also it has that oil sheen kind of look which is probably what would be created by asriel's blowing up the sky if we weren't ignoring his climate change which we are this show's propaganda but i mean they're ignoring that but they're really playing up the he likes to kill kids they even brought it up again this episode, so. Yo, you know what? I can't I can't fault them. They are also, like, I've been very happy about that. We'll get yeah. to that. Yeah. I, I think what they're doing with Asriel is very difficult, but I think that they're executing it really well. Yeah, especially because of Lyra and Will's reactions to that, right? To their fathers. Yeah. yeah, and that's, like, a big part of their discussion, which is, which is great. You have also, uh, besides Pan being a magpie, a lot of the scenes th- this episode, he's in a lot of white furred animals in the previous episode until like the few that he's not and i think it really feels like that idea of like that sort of innocence that's going to be lost by the end of this episode and by this episode i mean episode four and then also as you said right um they talk a lot about their dads and lyra and will are going they're going to get to the conclusion that they go against what both of their fathers want you know Lyra especially is kind of choosing to go against Joppery's last wishes and plans. And, of course, Will goes along with Lyra. And doesn't do what either Asriel or the Angels want. And it's, you know, we talked a lot about how people kind of underestimate these kids. 
But I think it's significant that they don't choose either of their dads, right? They choose themselves and what they want. And that's the point of the whole like message of free will that this story is about. You know, it's you're making your own choice outside of any authority, whether that's like a religious authority, uh, some sort of other moral institution, etc. Or even like your parents' authority. That's that free will and being able to choose for yourself is core to that humanity, but also in, in general, just growing up. Because a lot of it is an allegory for growing up. It's true making your own choices and whether you know, you're allowed to or not making your own choices learning to take care of yourself learning to cook learning to cook whether that's an omelet or not yeah like putting eggshells in your yeah. omelet or not putting anything in it yeah <laughs> mary leaves her orphans and they give her a bug out pack which is very nice yeah i have to say what color what ambiance what soundtrack <laughs> what atmosphere at least someone gets to vibe this season, right? Mary gets it all. Mary yeah. gets it all. Also, so we were talking about the name of one of the, the orphans last episode being like, what, Joseph? No, I don't Joseph, even remember it. Blakely. Yeah, Blakely. And this one, they gave us the name of the other orphan. The tall one is Maddie. Uh, so we got their names now. That's it. Something about the scarf that Mary's wearing as she like sets off there's like this pattern on it that reminds me actually a little bit of the amber spyglass or maybe even dust it's kind of like a circle thing over like a sort of bronzish star and I'm like could it be an amber spyglass it could also just be like a little sparkle of dust I don't know it's fun amazing well spotted I gotta go look at that again I don't think it's exactly that. that but they do a good job of kind of tying I think the the costumes with like these little things in general in the costume department they're it's always fun. on theme always yeah especially yeah and, and all of it we love Mary in this show it's so fun yeah anyone that says his dark materials is not a comedy is wrong because the next <laughs> scene is fucking pure comic genius Everyone votes to kill Marisa except Asriel, and he's like, let's put it to a vote. And he's like, well, my vote wins. Yeah. <laughs> he straight up says that. Like, I don't know the exact verbatim, but he really says that, Eliana. He's like, everyone, let's vote about what to do with our prisoner. And everyone's like, I don't trust her. And Asriel's like, hmm, but I do. I've yeah. been in that pussy, and I know what lies within. And he invites everyone there, and he's like, we're all going to do a trial. And it's like, Asriel... All these people did not consent to be part of your your kink with Marisa. You know, this like role play that you two have going on. All these people did not have to get dragged into it. But Ruda does make a good point, right? And she reminds us about how Marisa tortured a bunch of witches, which if you think about it, that's really part of her path of how Mrs. Coulter found out that her daughter is Eve. Because... That's a pretty big point of all of these all of these episodes lately. I love that because then just like 20 minutes later, they torture an angel. Asriel tortures an angel and it's like, yeah. oh, but you're supporting him too. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then they're like, ooh, this is going to go bad for us, isn't it? <laughs> yep. So back at the Magisterium, Father McPhail's fucking losing it. Um, my it's husband, like this man I live with. The one comment I have on this is his uh, his demon talks to him, not my husband's father. Mc father, yeah, it Danny, sounded like you were saying McPhail. that Father King Fuhrer Bradley mixed president. King Fuhrer Bradley, <laughs> <laughs> that guy He's you live with. My husband, with. I'd be smacking that little bald head of his. Smack, 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 Will Keen. Um, no, but my husband did say, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you'll know that I personally now feel. Will Keen would 
have been a great Stannis. I, I think yeah. Stephen Delane was great, but Will Keen like is Stannis in my head now. It's all I see. I could see and it. My husband in return said, Mela Salamander. Yeah. I will let you all sit with I that. I don't know if this is important, if it's necessary, but Mela Salamander is his demon. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Delane was great, but Will Keen's got great, like, I'm grinding my teeth right now energy <laughs> throughout this. Every scene, <laughs> and this scene especially, right? He's like, I'm talking into the flames right now, and his demon comes out, and she's like, well, my king. And he's hmm. like, I'm so frustrated, especially when Mrs. Coulter's there. Teeth grind, teeth grind. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. So at the campfire, Will is being moody, and Pan tells Lyra, just say sorry, don't be combative. So they make up, it's very cute. They're all like, I know it's hard for you to say sorry, and they talk about splitting up to get their tasks done, and then Salmaki just comes out, and she's like, you've been lying to me about the knife! I also want to point out that Lyra, very cute, even though they're fighting, it looks like she's wearing Will's dad's jacket at this time, so. Aww. I love high school. <laughs> also, so I understand for budget and like probably production reasons and CG reasons why they probably don't have Chevalier Tiali's, but I just really liked Chevalier Tiali's arc, and I guess it, like, Salmaki is just gonna, like, be both of them. But I, I don't know. It was important because they had each other to play off of and they softened one another and both hardened one another, too, in the conversation. Yeah. And they're just not as big of a part, it seems like, because they're not even going in the underworld. Yeah, she just portaled back over to Asriel to update him. I don't know. I'm trying not to think about it. However, last week when I yelled at you and was like, I'm not talking about it because what if, I believe... Um, I am wrong. I've never been wrong in my life. This is a first for me, and it's honestly mm. really painful, so I'd like you to just, like, nod through this. Thank you. But I am not correct about it. He's not there, and this is where I felt it. I literally thought about you. I was like, oh, Eliana is going to be so upset about it because it's true. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot that you said that he might still be there. I, I still thought that he might still be there, actually, until this. And, like, if they're playing down their role then, you know, I guess that makes sense. But it's just hard when there's only one of them, in my opinion, just for the dynamic, because it made the power difference between them, like, easier if there were two Gallup Espians versus the two kids. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I guess it's expensive. I get it, but... Yeah, and there's a lot of things that they gotta spend money on in this season. There's so much to come. I mean, think about the Abyss. My god. I think Even about it every day. They've been animating a lot of demons also so like even that demon presence is definitely up when they were talking about would they ever release and like still shoot that standalone episode from series two right james mcavoy was like i would love to do it but i don't know Stel Marie is really expensive <laughs> she's fucking beautiful so it makes sense yeah it absolutely makes sense well marisa gets let out of her captivity and she's given a new outfit for her trial costume change this is really elaborate foreplay um yo he bought love- her an outfit <laughs> he did he did so i love that she started off this whole thing trying to like girl boss them being like you know i've done so many things like i've come and then they're like no you killed a bunch of kids <laughs> she was like i can't believe you've imprisoned me here and like as a woman and i've done I am every bit as good as Asriel as an explorer, but as and they were like, no, you you're here and imprisoned because you killed a bunch of people that we cared about. <laughs> that's true. Now that said, 
I, Marisa Coulter's personal defense. The I'm only just one here for the exists. comedy. There's a lot of comedic moments with her. She's a queen like that. Yeah. It really stuck out to me that her demon was in chains, right? Her monkey mm-hmm. was in chains. It was very symbolic, especially as she was yelling. She's like, yeah, I have a murdered husband and an illegitimate child. Like, that's what I have to show for you, Asriel. Like, I was on the upright path. I was so bright. I was sparkling. I could have changed things, but then a man happened to me, which is totally a myth. I thought that was just very symbolic, and I loved getting to see her lash out, and just to be honest with all these people who are judging her. I love Mommy. Yeah, yeah. and I do think she was honest in this. It was a fantastic performance, and I, like, after that first moment when she's like, all right, fuck it, and as you said, starts being honest, that that speech, amazing. I mean- realistically you could tell he was so turned on by her he was like oh i'm so fucking that's, hard right now like that's why he moved to the back so you couldn't see his heart on that's why yeah he's he not hit his boner <laughs> he had to hide it realistically though like uh coming back to earth from our kinks our kinky sex fun time with these two it also brings up that question of like who do we let into the republic of heaven Right, I, I think mm. that was also very apparent. Like, it brought the politics, like these councils being formed, them being involved, whether or not it was fair or balanced, and whether or not Asriel was like, ooh, but Shorty's so good in bed. Uh, whether or not he was like, I could make a second baby who was Eve, or Eve 2, Eve squared. <laughs> whether or not he was like that, these people like almost got to say more than what they were getting in the world of the Magisterium. So like to say this is better is A, Wow, that's astounding and sad. And B, it also is bringing that politicking of, like, they're trying to decide what is our limit? Like, how do we keep our people safe? How do we run a world after this war is over? Even just thinking that we do live through it. That feels really serious and important of, like, establishing a world moving forward if we're really going to do this. Yeah, that's a that's a great point because if they let her in, then what... What is our vision of justice in this world, right? Where people who kill kids all the time, like, and Run who in. kill witches, right? And people that we care about who have done nothing wrong, like, yeah, if we're letting them in. But it also raises another good question. Like, is there is there hope of not just, you know, punishment, like, when it comes to justice, but also this idea of restorative justice, right? Like, do we believe people can change, et, et cetera? Also, I like that we have a gunway present for this trial because him being there and agreeing with Marisa's discussion of, you know, what the Magisterium does to children and her love for Lyra and what she wants to do to protect her child. She's willing to do anything to make that better world for her child really, I think, resonates with his character and why he joined this fight. And so that helps kind of make it less of this gendered, you know, mother's love kind of thing, right? And more about being a non-shitty parent, even though Marisa was still kind of a shitty parent. Yeah, because a gunway also comes from a world where it's like, they have something to fight for. There's heart to their fight, right? And... Again, something I really am praising them on because I'm a known Asriel hater when it comes to the books, right? I'm like, fuck Asriel. They're giving me that. They're giving me that nuance of like, oh, Asriel sucks. He really actually sucks in these episodes, which I do think they'll leverage into his character having kind of a humanizing moment later or two. This is something important to these people who are like, we gave up everything and brought our people here. And for what? 
Yeah. And like the cause of what he wants to do in general, right? That vision is good. It's like very, they've, they really nailed worst guy you know makes a good point. Yeah. God bless the onion for producing this season. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Will and Lyra seek Yorick to get the knife fixed, but first Lyra must go see that hut she was traumatized in recently, <laughs> if you remember. There's this yeah. amazing shot. Um, I need you all to like rewatch it, stop it, and stare at it where Lyra. The camera is just looking up at Lyra and there's a bright blue sky with clouds in the background and she's looking down at this hut. It makes me wonder if we will see this angle again in the season from someone looking down over a great hill or an Mm. abyss. It it makes me wonder if maybe this is how we'll see Coulter in the end and even Asriel looking over the edge, a shot of them like this, because it was just such a striking shot. There were some very beautiful shots in these episodes. The cinematography is on point. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, they're just really also beautifully done episodes. And just because I want to twist the knife a little more, you know, Lyra says to Will that she's never been held before, right? As she recounts her memory of like, I think my mother might've been holding me, but I think that was a dream. Like that can't be real. And she's like, She's never been held before, but later in these episodes, right, she and Will hug, and it's kind of like a lingering hug, so they're holding each other. But then also at the end of episode four, as Lyra is screaming in pain, Will is holding her. You're under arrest. (laughs) I'm personally arresting you. Thank you for connecting these lines. Have a great life. I never want to speak to you again. Yada, yada, yada. That is what happens, and it is devastating to be so alone. The council deliberates, and they basically call out Asriel. They're like, Marisa is your Achilles cock slash heel. We can't say she stays yet. Just we need to make sure you know that. And then they're like, all right, she can stay. Ruta is like, she can stay, but I will kill her. So if she fucks up, I'll kill her. Yeah. And then they bring up the knife, right? In in the council, they start talking about the knife. And she's like, oh, ha ha ha. Sounds like a special knife. Was it important or something? I don't know anything about it. Ha ha ha. The boy didn't have it. Bye. <laughs> she's like, oh, whoops. And I love that, you know, she's just a terrible mom. She's just like, I don't, I don't like my girl's new boyfriend. And, you know, she insults Will saying that he seemed to fancy himself a hero, but he's kind of insipid. And then she like looks directly at Azrael. She's like, oh, I know exactly how my daughter fell in love with that boy. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, but... <laughs> oh, they're types. Anyways, so we get to my favorite scenes of Yorick and Lyra reuniting. Those are great. And then we have the moments of like the alethiometer and she's looking it up while leaning against Yorick's fur, just like moments in season one. So beautiful, so beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. I'm sorry. I was so emotional. And then it says, uh, you know, Chloe, can you can you decipher for us what, what the alethiometer said? Um, the alethiometer said, outlook hazy, try again. When Lyra asked if she should go to the out, the land of the dead, it was like, mm, try again later. Mm, not so sure. Maybe you shouldn't. But nevertheless, Lyra persisted. We have a saying at Girls Gone Canon, which is <laughs> Lyra, no. Lyra, yes. And Lyra did yes this one. I have to say, this reunion's great. Every scene connected to Yorick in this episode is great especially the reforging of the knife. As we get to that, we'll talk more about it, but I love this. I love 
that Yorick quotes the books there, right? He says, the knife mm-hmm. has intentions too. It's important. Turns out it did. And I love, I just love also seeing him call her. He laughs when she lies to him and she's like, yeah, the lithiometer said we should go. He's laughs and then calls her like still a silver tongue and uh, it's so beautiful he's the one who named her because he's her real dad but also i like this message you know this this discussion that they have around this idea of doubt you know and why doubt is sometimes good yeah she i love that there's something really great happening here where she says to him she's like yeah but you've messed up yorick like you're saying you've never messed up you're casting that stone i literally met you when you were fucking up in a bar. She <laughs> says that doubtful to doubtful of yourself. Yeah, she's like, you had a lot of doubt. Yeah, she's like, I have receipts. But there's also this part of her, right? She has very appropriate opinions on her mother. I would never tell her how to feel about Marisa. Because let's face it, Marisa has been a very bad mother, an abusive mother. But there's also that bit that we learn in, what, the A Song of Ice and Fire books, for example, right? That... It's not just good or bad. There's a pile of good and a pile of bad of deeds you do. Or from Miss Marvel, it's not something you are, it's something you do. Right? And we're Mm -hmm. seeing that trajectory for Coulter this season that she might not be doing it for all the right reasons at the time, but she thinks that she's doing it for a good reason and that she's doing the only things available to her in a horrible way, fucked up way. And later it kind of informs her opinions as well, right? So Lyra is saying people aren't good or bad. And Coulter's actions show us that, right? We see the true conflict, especially in these two chapters of Coulter, between Azriel and the Magisterium going, who's going to protect Lyra? That's what I want to vote for. Yeah, absolutely. And she does doubt herself, even though Lyra says, those people don't experience doubt. And I'm like, I saw her doubt herself a lot. <laughs> yep. And then someone who is wonderful, Mary, wandering about in some new world. Uh, I love that... Again, in regards to her people's clothing, she's got this like very comfortable looking t-shirt on that has like this little graphic of like palm trees, but nonetheless they are trees. I love it. I love that Mary is just like the perfect auntie. Yeah. She is. She is. The next scene is McPhail sharply questioning Dr. Cooper, throwback from season one at Bullvanger. Yeah. Until she tells him what they learned about dust explosions. I love the way she's been adapted into this. There's more of it throughout this couple of episodes, but, you know, in the books, it's a male doctor, Dr. Cooper, and he gets a little bit here and there and gets brought back in. But she is fulfilling an interesting role and possibly even a compass for Coulter to spin around in the next episode. We'll see, Mm. depending on those. Uh, I think she's Coulter's getting a few good graces in, and I think she might be able to exploit Cooper to get out of there or to falter the bomb. We'll see. Cooper mentions fighting for a new Eden, which is so sci-fi, right? The idea, I mean, a new Eden's in so many different stories, like City of Ember, where there's a dying city and they're trying to leave it and go somewhere where they can all survive. The Machine Stops by E.M. Forster, which is in a dystopian future written in 1909, where humanity lives in cubicles, <laughs> communicating <laughs> only via technology, experiencing Wait. everything secondhand. <laughs> uh, but the machine is, that has rendered humanity depend on it, right? Like, the, the planet's livable, but the machine makes everyone live by it, so... Uh, uh, but this is like such a sci-fi dystopian concept of making a new Eden when all else has failed. 
which is so funny, right, with the Magisterium. Because I'm like, you guys are just such drama queens. Like, your society hasn't failed. You failed it. Bruh. Yeah, and they want an Eden where, I guess, it, they think no one sins. I guess no one ever... They have no free will, right? Because until they ca were cast out from Eden, they had no free will. It's perfect when it's put up against later yeah. when Coulter calls them out. Yes, exactly. And also, I forgot about that book. I never finished because I like was waiting for the second book for The City of Ember. And by then, like whenever it came out, I never ended up reading it. But I should finish. I loved that book. Pretty good. I did finish, so I would recommend. The whole series? Mm-hmm. Nice. I think they're in my Google but Books I library. I think, like, I don't remember how people felt about the ending, but I didn't really keep up, so I'll just have to find that for myself sometime. And you can tell me, but don't tell me. What if you're, like, <laughs> your experience might color mine, so anyways. Oh my god, so Marisa examines the intention craft. Rudo's suspicious of her, and this scene kind of tells me that they do have some history beyond the torture of her yeah. fellow sisters, right? It seemed familiar. It makes me wonder if we're going to get a little more unraveling of that. Yeah, there was a moment where she said something like, you were always impressed by Asriel. Or were. something like that. Yeah. Maybe she did fuck Asriel. Maybe we are going to get that in this version. I, I don't mean, know. It doesn't mean that her and a gunway aren't going to be a thing, though. Yeah. No, I mean, like, people, she, like, people can hit it and quit it. That's fine. I don't know what my witch and soldier thing is, but it's a thing. It's officially a thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's just, like, a thing, because technically Lee Scoresby's not a soldier, right? So. He was for Lyra. That's true. Lyra. Just like Marisa, yeah. Yeah, the ultimate soldier. God's strongest <laughs> soldier for Lyra. <laughs> yeah, they had that scene together, you know? <laughs> Speaking of Marisa, Roke brings some really bad news about the knife, right? End of <laughs> Mrs. Coulter's lies to Asriel. And Asriel goes out to confront Marisa, who's hanging out by the intention craft. They get into a heated discussion with some assault involved, and uh, it's about their mission to come and their differences. And then a proposal is actually made after that. Yeah, so it sounds like, I guess, the Galavespians, as we discussed, don't go into the land of the dead and die. And also, I can't believe that she's just going around calling Roke the insect. Hilarious. It's probably actually very rude, but... She it's doesn't cruel. care. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. HBO seems to like have be going through a phase where they're really into, I guess, men choking women that they disagree with lately. I know it's two shows in a row, but at the same time, I think that it stands a purpose because they want you to know Azriel's not like a great guy, I feel like. Like I really think they're hammering at home. They're like, Azriel, yeah. dark gray character. Yeah. And it's bad. But at the same time, it, it works as gray because at the same time you're like, Mrs. Coulter, also not good, just got out of having kidnapped and drugged her daughter. So, you know. I mean, it's very much, yeah, it's uh, it's giving Cersei and Jamie, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, I thought that this exchange where he's trying to kind of, I think, hurt Marisa with like everything that you've done in terms of your ambition meant nothing because like the authority is a whole lie, right? But he says at the beginning of that discussion with her, like that everything she did like was to kind of gain power. So I don't know, I've never gotten the impression, both in the books and in the show, that Marisa really ever cared about the authority or God. Like everything she did was just practical in terms of her quest for power. Like I don't think she's really that sad about is God real or not, because no. she's out here killing cardinals. No, I don't think that's really a problem for her, because I think 
moreover, like, I think she was raised thinking her family's God, not just God God, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think there's a yeah. relationship with her mom that we'll definitely have to explore this season more. I don't think it's just going to be this episode. I think they're going to pepper some more in from what it sounds like of her relationship with her mom, which is a complicated and painful one, it sounds like. Yeah, which is, granted, part of it is because Pullman wrote that in um, in the later in the later books, but it is interesting that we get a lot about Marisa's relationship with, you know, her mother, but we don't really know anything about, like, Asriel's parents, like... Mm-hmm. Why are you like this? The generally the generational trauma is only like following you know the maternal line. Yeah, but to be fair to that, it's a great thing to follow and explains. It's starting to show some of that coloring, right, for Maurice's backstory mm-hmm. and make her a little more of a sympathetic character in some aspects for us to follow. Will examines the knife as they start to do their intention crafting. Yorick guides him. He hits a block and he sees his father and sees Coulter, but then York reminds him that it's about Lyra. Or not about Lyra, but your ultimate goal to help Lyra, right, in a way. Uh, He focuses about what's important to him at York's guidance and sees only Lyra, and it's beautiful, a beautiful flash of lightning in her. And he reforges the knife. It's a gorgeous scene. I I really love this scene. It was everything I wanted and more before he passes the fuck out on the ground. Yeah, I thought it was it was well done, but also I love that you called it out as that intention crafting, because when I was watching it the first time through, I was like, it's not technically a scene, so I couldn't call it a favorite scene in that way, but I was like, I love that they made it a double entendre, right? The episode title of the intention craft, that it wasn't just about the ship, but literally the craft of intention. And that's a little bit how the book is too right i'm really happy Mm -hmm. that they kept that together because those scenes are closely together and as we'll get to some of you know coulter using the intention craft i think it's i'm so sorry i'm saying this word i think it's intentional (laughs) (laughs) no it absolutely is so well done very fun very fun he says to her that she can come visit him on Svalbard. She's always welcome on Svalbard. And I just want to say there isn't going to be a Svalbard, you stupid slut. Oh my god, it's going to melt away. Okay, that said, not in this version, I guess. It, it it might not because the angels said they're closing all the windows, right? They're like, we're going to clean up Azriel's mess, I guess. So maybe over time, Svalbard can come back. But the, you're right, they're not they're not doing the climate stuff at all. No Central Asia, no... So how does... Yeah. How does the sea... Hmm. They could retcon it in if they wanted to for it, if they do that, but... I I mean, the real truth of it is they don't have the bandwidth, let's be real, but they have so much They already had to go a lot of places, right? They had to shoot in a lot of places and bring so much CGI. I'm just saying that his climate change erasure is a bit much. Asriel's climate change has to stop his erasure of it. Yeah. I did think, you know, as you said, right, like the way that they did this intention crafting scene with the knife, it it was really great and how they focused on all those different people. And I think it was a creative way for them to approach the scene because I guess watching a bear hammer at a little knife and then telling the kids to concentrate um, and Lyra like fanning the fire, um, it just doesn't have the same charm, I guess, when they're not children, right, (laughs) in that way. Because like I think of them like being like, the hilarious little kids um and it probably would have been too hard to produce so i think that this was a wonderful way to to do that and i love the way that they 
in the reforged knife have like those cracks still very very visible like scars exactly um like will will himself and his body right and i don't know i'm i'm still just big sad about york saying goodbye and that they wouldn't meet again if she doesn't make it out but they he's there at the end of the book right Mm mm-hmm yeah. That's when so, he tells her he's going to Central Asia. Yeah. So, but they do meet again. I he he could still say that they're going to Central Asia. And maybe it's after the war that he says, "Hey, everything's melted because of this horrible war between." Yeah. While we wait it out, maybe they'll move it around. We'll yeah, find while out. We wait while the angels like fix everything. Yeah. I mean, I war does happen to increase those holes in the ozone and all that jazz. So. Azriel shows Marisa the angel that he's holding captive. He's like, is this impressive? Oh my <laughs> <And> god. <laughs> he brings that like lens in front of it, right, to show her that it's an angel and it's reminiscent of the first episode, right? Where he he has that special kind of film that he uses to show dust to all the scholars at Jordan College. Yes, the special processed film. Yeah. Uh, he also has this line where he's like, everyone's beautiful. And I'm like, special? You mean? You meant special? Yeah. I do think that is intentional. Ooh. <laughs> no. I don't even mean An that. intentional Whoa. craft. Will and Lyra post knife crafting, which just makes me think I'm playing like a video game or something. Like, yeah, oh my we God. crafted a knife. We had enough materials. <laughs> I made a risotto. <laughs> <laughs> they start to talk about Will's trip and Balthamos arrives and meets Lyra, which yeah. is very sweet. Will decides that he will go to the land of the dead with Lyra after all. Yeah, and Balthamos tells him, yeah, he can't enter the land of the dead. And it's like, pay attention, Pan, because it's foreshadowing about how creatures made of dust cannot enter the land of the dead, and you as a demon are made of dust. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, too. I'm so glad we're not watching this one together. We watched Hot D together, and, you know, that was sad in some moments. We had some good, sad, intimate moments. But this one, we would just be blubbering because also we'd be annoying, but we'd be blubbering. I didn't even notice that. I would have just been sad there, too. It's horrible. It's all hurtful. Everything's just building up to being hurtful. I love that Will gives that he's going to go, especially because he could have a chance seeing his dad, maybe his papa, once more. Papa. Uh, that boy will follow her anywhere, first of all. But second of all, he has this line that's so sad. He brings his mom up. He has two momisms in these two chat two episodes. He says, my mom always said, if your friend needs help, you should give it. Which is sad because we know that Will doesn't really have a lot of friends in his life before yeah. this. And now he does. He has a best friend. Uh, if you like saying Papa, maybe you should give Downton Abbey a, a watch sometime. Maybe it's time for me. It might be time. (laughs) So Ruta and Agunway talk about how Asriel and, like, hear about the angels are gathering to Zephania, and they worry, like, I don't know, are the angels really gonna fight for Asriel, right? Turn against another angel, especially for this guy who has an angel prisoner. Yeah, I love that it all rests on how they treat the angel, which we see, well, we'll see in a moment how they treat the angel whoop uh it all rests on that and it's going to create some discord between the angels that may have maybe joined him and not and this is something that's not a hundred percent elaborated on or given in the book so i really like that they went with this because 
it was too easy, right? Like, it, it was absolutely too easy that, like, all of a sudden Zephania's like, well, we want to rebel for the final time, so we'll just join your cause and that's it. There's no problems. Uh, you need some camp drama, so this is actually really good. Yeah, yes. I think it, it's good for how they've been playing out the show. It doesn't bother me in the books because... Yeah. It happens off screen, right? And also, the what we're supposed to be taking from that is that a lot of these angels, not so many of them are, like, on the fence or in hiding, um, they are playing it very like that, you know, like Paradise Lost, right? They're they're mad. They were cast out. They lost this war, and they feel they feel mad that someone is trying to hold this power over them like that. So, mm-hmm. I think that the books strike that same tone, but here it makes sense for what they're exploring. Absolutely, completely agreed. I think it works perfectly. Um, but yeah, so they are torturing. Oh, wait, sorry. Yeah, uh, Asriel is just, again, he's making Zephania's job harder. And that's because they're torturing angels now. <laughs> yeah, and... we're torturing angels now. <laughs> yeah, he's like, is this going to turn her on? <laughs> and if we bring this other non-consensual person into our... Anyways, so Asriel discussed how Marisa invented devices to cut the soul and how he's now using that technology she invented to cut through worlds and i'm like so wait was he still killing kids like with those devices like was it just like hidden in the background the power source of like took a random kid from your world Ooh, look at this cool window i don't know (laughs) like are kids powering the intention craft i don't know well i don't think that right like oh oh my god (laughs) jesus get in the fucking mecha shinji kun that's hard I don't think that. Like, I don't think he's using that for the intention craft necessarily. Where would they keep the kid? That's powered on their thoughts. Yeah, where would they yeah. keep the kid? That was actually, that was the problem with their relationship. Where do we keep the kid? My God. Yeah, that's why they got rid of Lyra and then they left each other. Was Roger just that good? Was his soul just that fucking big? I would believe it. Roger was amazing. Because you'd think he'd kill a couple more just to keep going like he still has a little cannon going on there where he's like boom got a hole in your world i think i think he definitely killed at least one more kid at least one more kid where's his story right and i guess i don't know he says he says aloud last of the last two episodes that i killed murdered an innocent child once but i'm like was it only once i don't know maybe he figured it out after that and do you believe the rest were guilty, right? I mean... Anyways, so, I don't know. While they torture this angel, Coulter locks her demon out. Which I I, I mm. took Coulter locking her demon out of the room. As, you know, her separating herself from her soul, right? Putting her soul outside the room, knowing that she was about to embark on something that was horrible, devious, devil-like, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, it did. It I, I didn't notice that, but you're right. It's definitely kind of like I'm that. on Monkey Watch this season. Yeah. Okay. Here's one thing that I kind of wish we had gotten in some of these scenes. I wanted like moments between the monkey and Stelmar- Stelmaria. Uh, I wanted like a weird like hesitate hesitant touch between them or something. I think we're going to get it in their abyss fall. If we don't get it before then, I know we're going to. We're going to get something. We're, we're going to get it eventually, but like, I don't know. They're because... just lewd together. I might be an Azrael and Marisa shipper, but at heart, like, I'm a furry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not a furry. No. Oh, my God. Ah, at heart, I'm a Stelmaria and Golden Monkey shipper. 
Yeah. So, I and also, I thought there was some, like, really great film work, you know? We've been talking about how great the cinematography was, but after Azrael is done, I don't know, eradicating the angel, the the light is kind of, like, goes out, then there's, like, this dim light, and you can see, like, little dust motes kind of floating in the light when it comes back on. That's beautiful, yeah. I love uh, all those little in-focus, out-of-focuses, and... Then while Asriel's distracted, which I knew as soon as I saw the intention craft of this episode, I was like, oh, she, this is the episode she steals it, right? The intention craft. Marisa yep. pilots the intention craft and she doesn't stumble once. So take that, Asriel. I mean, this woman can control specters, so you ain't shit. That's true. Give her the BAFTA. The look on his face, it's incredible because he's like so astonished, but also he's like, yeah. And he gives her a little wink almost. He's like, yeah, go on, babe. I know. You'll come back. That's yeah. just their relationship. It is, it is. And I kind of wondered, is the lingering look between them, you know, and Marisa leaving to do what she feels she must do to save Lyra, mm -hmm. meant to maybe parallel Lyra looking back at Pan at the docks? Oh, that's perfect. Because I feel like there was an understanding, like a hurtful understanding there of him being like, I know you're kind of betraying me, but I know what you're doing it for, and I want it, but I don't know how to want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, it's very sad, because then, again, it goes straight into Lyra and Will, right, where Lyra and Will are eventually figuring out how to cut through to what seems like the land of the dead. Yes. And I love chubby white fox pan form. <laughs> it reminds me of this, like, anxiety fox plushie that I have, which is very soft, and I don't know. I'm not trying to be a hater this season because I am really enjoying it. It's just, you know, some things like obviously I envisioned differently, but I do really like, don't get me wrong, I'm enjoying, I'm loving the series. So please don't weigh these things that I say too too heavily, but like, I get why they did the Land of the Dead this way, but I just do really have a special place in my heart for like the exploration that they did of the suburbs of the dead, the like little shanty towns and stuff that as they describe it in the books. And the idea of it like being this sort of like mirror world and then the guy dead on one side and then suddenly here he is alive over his body on this one. So anyway, and Absolutely. then the episode ends with Pan just like alone, just like the next one. But anyway. Yeah, I, I do love it. I love, I mean, the nuance and what it means, right? The suburbs of the dead, because like, also, if you've ever been to a suburb, <laughs> like it's just yeah. as depressing as feeling. Uh, and the stories of the deaths, I, I found it really powerful in the books. And if you haven't read them yet and you're listening to us and you're fine with spoilers, yada, 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 uh, definitely go check out the books on this. But I, I've come to kind yeah. of like terms with it. Um, and we could talk more yeah. about it here in episode four. But uh, I've definitely come to terms with it a little more and that like now I feel better about it. But at first I was like, man, I wish this was the suburbs of the dead. It it works, right? And I understand, like, what they have to do, and it works, but I just thought there was, like, some, a really strong message, like, what you said, right, about the whole suburbs part, and, like, not just that, like, this kind of, like, vapid existence that the people were living and just waiting for death in that way, like, that they weren't, yeah, they weren't living, you know, so. And who is in a That's suburb? All. My god, my god. No, I'm just kidding. So, <sighs> no, some people are, you know, I guess, but, anyway. Episode four, Lara and her death. Yeah, written by Jack Thorne once more. Once more. Yeah. 
episode opens and they're walking on a paved road, which I thought was interesting that it was paved. And Highway to Hell is blaring in the background. That's not true. I made that up. <laughs> I would have believed you. Yeah, especially because Mary Malone's <laughs> I'm a silver about tongue. to... Oh my god. Mary Malone's about to roll up, or not roll up. Ooh. I guess. Oh, yeah. Oh, are they not doing that? There's no wheels, babe. I just thought that maybe it could, like, retract and, like, be their, like, wheelies or something. No, that was like, me that happen. said it. I'm sorry. It was a lie. Oh like, my they're not. God. I'm sorry You're you believed me. You're a silver tongue. I'm a silver tongue. Wow. Uh, no, babe. I'm so sorry. So sorry. So sorry. Yeah. They're, uh, Mary's got her kind of unpaved roads to roll up on, right, compared to their paved. And Pan is concerned. There are no demons in the land of the dead. Yeah, and then you just have Lyra kind of gaslighting herself, and by that I mean Pan, being like, it's gonna be fine. You have nothing to be afraid of. I don't know why you're being so afraid. It's fine, Pan. <sighs> and then they think they're so smart, right? Because on this highway to hell that they're walking to, as Eliana so cleverly quoted it, it's not just that, but also, like, Lyra and Will are on separate sides of the road with a dashed line in between. Pan is walking behind them, right? They're ahead of him. And nowhere near them. And then, if you compare the dashes on the road to the intro, if you watch the little His Dark Materials Diddy intro, it's the same dash as the dust that appears on the screen for Amir's name and Daphne's name. It's fucked up. They're fucked fucked up. up. They fucked up with me. Like, why would they do that to me? Hurtful. Absolutely intact. Yeah, Candid59 and I were pointing it out and chatting about it today. It is... It is hurtful the whole show is hurtful but that's just unnecessary unnecessary uh a great thematic foreshadowing through visual aid there thanks for that storytelling i hate it and then you have mrs coulter flying yeah i know right everything's so painful like from here on out you have mrs coulter flying the intention craft to the magisterium and making an entrance so that was fun that part was fun yeah, and then you have a dance break for the intro. We still don't know the lyrics. Yeah. Turns out the dust thought that we had it and we thought they had it, so. God, till next week. <laughs> they enter a station where the dead are being observed, checked in, and Lyra and Will get stopped because they're alive. Lyra lies, of course, and they get sent into a holding area with a slip because bureaucracy is not dead even in the dead. Coulter and Gomez chat. Coulter tries to play in with the magisterium again. Amazing. And meets with father, president, daddy, whatever, McPhail. And she Fury further- King Bradley. Fury King Bradley. Oh my God. She incites further war with him about Asriel's angel murder. She's playing both sides. I love this political scene where she's- I love this political scene where she's going back and forth. It's kind of a practice run seduction for Metatron- later and then it fails Mm. this time as we come to see also marisa calling him hugh is the funniest thing in the world like i'll never get over it that yeah everyone's like you mean father daddy president king fuhrer bradley uh and she's like hugh banging on his door (laughs) hugh hugh (laughs) hugh where are you Uh. She's never going to let him forget that you fucking weirdo loser. Yeah. Hugh. <laughs> uh, it, it is absolutely great. 
But yeah, the, they have some fun tense scenes and then you get Lyra and Will sent around to a, a bunch of different mundane rooms, really playing up that bureaucracy, right, mm-hmm. of nothing getting done under the authority. And then you have Father Gomez bringing a peace offering to Marisa, her dead mother's wardrobe, and then a new friend appears, Lord Roke, who has taken an interest in Gomez's interests, but not like he supports them but like what is he doing yeah like he's jotting it down about his interests. like he's spying yeah yes he's a little spy fly himself you could say oh my gosh wow you're so right wow thanks bestie uh i love this has some secret commonwealth vibes babes we're gonna talk about it later in the discussion but i also love that there's like this menace when she gets the wardrobe that it's like what's in the box it's a trap. You know, like, it has all these, like, suspenseful feelings. It's your daughter. Yeah, but it's worse. It's her mother's clothes. What could be worse? It's her mother's clothes. And there's definitely that feeling, right, about how recently she had her daughter in a trunk passed out. Huh. But here she is, and she gets a trunk, and thinking it could be her, body's, her body parts of her daughter, or, like, you know, anything. It could be horrible. Horror, but it's her mother's clothes. Worse. But it also turns into a weapon for her, as we discussed. Yeah, but oh, that's so funny what you're saying about her wearing her mother's clothes, right? And and being frustrated with that, because that's how the series starts. Lyra being dressed by yep. Mrs. Coulter. In her clothes. Like, I think I hate this. <laughs> it's also how this series starts, not just series one with the dress and all the clothing, but also this season, because like Marisa is dressing her. Marisa is keeping her as a doll, as she was kind of kept. Yeah, and she was in pajamas, and she had to go to the fucking land of the dead briefly in pajamas. So vulnerable, so terrible. Mary wearily rests at a tree with the Yijing, where she nods off for a bit, and we head over to Will and Lyra in the land of the dead, where they are walking around asking if people know how to get where they gotta go without a death. And they learn they actually do have deaths and that once they find them they can go to the boatman and his boat so this was my other favorite part of the episode mostly because i was like oh i see they're talking to me the audience they're like why would you want to watch a film that makes you feel horrible and i'm like shut the fuck up (laughs) why would anyone want to experience a story that makes them feel horrible and i was like oh they're talking about the end of the series turns out though they even just meant the end of this episode and i was like that's hurtful then they say i like she goes i like the one with the bear and i keep thinking i i gotta watch paddington too sometime it could be on the list yeah i hear people cry watching it really yeah hmm is that gonna be you are you people I don't know, I cry it a lot, so, you know, again, I watch a lot of films that make me feel horrible. I did laugh at that line. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty good since we're all sitting here just watching this show over and over again. Uh, I love yeah. the, the way everyone inside this station is not them, right? Like, how they react, how they interact, and some of the people they meet is interesting. Uh, the older woman they meet and the gentleman they meet there in that room and that they kind of start to talk about death with. Yeah, yeah, they were they were nice, and I liked that they were kind of seated far apart, which uh, implied, once you realize what they're talking about, it's space for their death to sit with them. Um, and I get why they didn't do it, but I did, I kind of wanted to see, like, the creepy dudes from the books, but I also understand why they didn't, because it, it might have, like, not translated well on screen or something, and... And I like that they mirror imag- them, right? Like, it seems their deaths that we did see... Like, Lyra's death mirrors her, clothing-wise and hair. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And 
I thought it was a good touch, right, that they have Will being like everyone staring at us and being really uncomfortable about that because with his personality, right, his protection has always been being invisible and he's suddenly very hyper visible. And I mean, you're going to be really hyper visible in the land of the dead. You know, being alive amongst dead people really makes you stand out. And poor Pan is just so scared about everyone talking about their deaths. He's like cowering and squeaking and it's just so sad. <laughs> Poor Kit Connor. I know. I do, and again, I love the book's version of The Land of the Dead, but I think that there's something really clever with this interpretation. Like, they did have a holding area and kind of like a way station, right, for The Land of the Dead in the books, but they played up the train station aspect here, and I think it works well in terms of the stories that His Dark Materials is responding to, right? That Philip Pullman is is kind of critiquing a little in his in his books and the whole this idea of it being a train station might be a reference and perhaps even a response to the chronicles of narnia because um i think i don't remember like some something about like pullman maybe saying something about it being like a little mean-spirited in the way that some things were executed right and i'm about to spoil like the ending more or less or like a very big part of the Chronicles of Narnia. So please, I'm going to wait five seconds or 10 seconds, and then I'm about to spoil it. And so 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All right. So the children who still believe in Narnia, right, of like our main characters and shit, and could still visit it, end up dying in a train wreck. And then upon their deaths, end up going to Narnia. And it makes that death into something sort of like a blessing because then they can be reunited like in this sort of like holy land of heaven, right? And it's like Lion Jesus. And so playing into the idea of the train station and having it be a commentary on, on Narnia, um, I think works because... You know, the train station shows waiting for death as this kind of stasis, right? It's meaningless. Like, why are you only thinking about the time after? And and that longing for death isn't actually a cause for celebration, but but it's the end of thought. Yeah, and I guess I, I never finished those books. Me and you have talked about this a little bit, that, like, I haven't read those books Oh my god, I won't tell them, don't worry. I've never read these books in full. I had a couple of them growing up, and I just, I never got into them. And not in a bad way, I just never did. I just don't think I read it. Like, I think I had the books, and I was like, yeah, whatever, they'll be there still. But The Magicians does a really good kind of tribute to this. In, I want to say, Series 2, they go to the underworld to get someone's shade back and bring back their soul. So I definitely think it was influenced by both Pullman and by C.S. Lewis in this, for sure. Because there's a way station, the underworld meadows, where you go to get checked in and wait. And they have to pull kind of a heist off to get the shade out. And they come up with some conflict of not just the shade they were trying to get out, but then, you know, someone else they could save, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Um, They do a great episode of it. And it's funny that The Magicians is coming up so often so far in these episodes for me just because... You know, I, I watched through all of the episodes, and I actually think there are a lot of great similarities as far as a fantasy young adult 
somewhat science fiction oriented in some aspects kind of show and adaptation. Uh, I find that really interesting, but I definitely think they're pulling from Lewis and from Pullman. And I think that makes sense because The Magicians is, you know, it very well might be inspired by by these books, right? It's yeah. published afterwards, and it's some kind of, of, some a of what they're commenting on are similar. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, um, exploring some similar themes, you know, in terms of like, well, actually, let's, let's deconstruct some of the, these ideas, which is what Pullman's doing in this book series. Coulter is very into repenting her sins and dresses in her mother's clothing, as we talked about, to head to the chapel with Roke nearby, but instead she gets a little side trip. She reunites with Dr. Cooper and learns about the bomb before security comes to lock her up for her emails. I mean, lock her up. (laughs) I did really love Mrs. Coulter's interactions with Father Jerome in this episode. It It was just great comedy. Oh yeah, she's perfect. She's having a blast. Or not. (laughs) Oh, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Like I said, I'm loving the return of Dr. Cooper. Uh, She survives getting stabbed by Serafina in season one, (laughs) if you remember. So she's an intense character. And in the books, her adaptive counterpart, Dr. Cooper, gets taken prisoner by the CCD after Bulvanger and kept in a room with basically nothing but a chair, a bed, and a bucket. And after he speaks to the father-daddy president of the CCD, Hugh McPhail, he's granted better quarters and basically instructed with rediscovering the old research from his colleague from Bullvanger, who theorized how to harness power of intercision, like Asriel had done, to create a bridge to another world, a.k.a. this bomb. So very thoughtfully done and really well adapted. Yeah. I forgot and- about that. Yeah, same and also um the fox demon is cute yeah in the books it's a rabbit i want to say so i actually kind of like the fox in the show it's very cute so in the land of the dead lyra invites her death after a heated chat with pan and will about being here and why they have to do this thing and that replaces you know her disagreement with the galavespians where will and lyra were actually on the same side about that um and this one they they've kind of sort of played up this this sort of disagreement between Will and Lyra. Yeah, they have kind of played it out in a different way. I like that they've split it up between Will and Pan. It's great because then it shows Lyra lashing out right against both of them who are supposed to be her only support. Uh, and I think it mm-hmm. works well for the frustration she's feeling and the guilt she's already feeling at all of this. Mm-hmm. Then you have Father McPhail overture praying to the authority while gomez gets like the lyra hair and then they begin to experiment with the atom bomb yeah father gomez has this kind of prayer overture where he says only through your love and your guidance will i find the strength to do what must be done to lead us to salvation and i thought that felt a little fitting for other parts of our story right like coulter who is kind of using lyra as her guiding star Right now, her Borealis, Mm -hmm. so to speak, what she's looking for in the sky to take her somewhere, her northern lights. But also it comes back to this idea of sacrifice that McPhail is making versus the sacrifice Lyra makes at the end of the chapter, right? Like, she chooses to separate from her demon in order to go avenge the unfair death 
of her best friend, who she spent some of the best years with as a child, who was the only person there for her for a good amount of her mm-hmm. life, right? Her sole confidant, the person that she felt she could trust and be around. Uh, and, and that's kind of a real sacrifice, what she's trying to do in letting Pan go, in breaking up with him, in, you know, making her boyfriend go with her, even though she doesn't know the effects on him yet. None of us do till next week. Uh, but McPhail's not making a sacrifice for himself. He's not making a sacrifice. There, there's nothing that he is sacrificing in this. What is he sacrificing? I don't know. His uh, dignity. <laughs> well, that's gone, sister. Let me just tell you. Uh, that's the thing, though. Like, Coulter isn't a sacrifice for him. What? It's a sacrifice because you don't get to, what, savage her body with your virgin hands? <sighs> I just, like, you know, it's not the same. It's not equivalent. Those sacrifices are not the same at all. At all. Yeah. They're they're really not. They're not. <sighs> yeah. He's he's a silly man. That's certainly a way to put it. There is, a, <laughs> there is an interesting discussion going on that I really liked with Dr. Cooper telling him that the hair attracts the atoms of Lyra, right? That the hair wants to become whole once more. It wants to find Lyra wherever she's in. Excuse the heresy, she says, but whichever oh. world she's in. That the atoms oh. want to become whole once more, which kind of gives us a little bit of foreshadowing to the end of the story, right? Of Pan and Lyra finding one another after being separated because they are atoms of a whole, but also Lyra and Will and their promise to one another when they have to separate, right? That painful separation, like that they will meet once a year at this exact time and place and that this is as close as they'll be able to get to those atoms becoming whole once more and the idea that like you know you you your atoms merge with another person you merge with another person they make you better and want to be better and they drive you right and and you want to protect them and they want to protect you and you want to defend them and you want to fight for them and you want to fight for something and feel something which is like the entire idea of vanquishing death doesn't exist in life, what happens is that you live. That's how you vanquish death, right? Mm-hmm. And these atoms can't be together. They can't live together. Yeah, they can't until yeah, until they die. And yeah, I loved, I loved that. And absolutely, yes, in regards to the atoms finding each other. Um, yes, in regards to Pan and Lyra always finding each other, but also while yeah, we have to wait for Will and Lyra to you know die in their atoms to find each other that way. Even like just now right like with the beginning of episode three and stuff will will always find lyra that's what he did he like traversed a bunch of places in order to find her and so you agree will and lyra endgame in books of dust three i mean they fucking i mean in general not just books of dust even beyond right um beyond but also yeah as we've discussed i i think like you know when you split your body up into a bunch of atoms you can you can be with a bunch of other atoms too, you know. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think you're saying that Will and Lyra should fuck other people and still come back to one another in the future. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what I got from that. Kinda. That's kind of what I'm saying. Because as you said, right? You have to live. Like. Yeah. Well, and because them. This is so far later in the road here in the series, but <laughs> you know, like. It comes back to that idea of her living in his world as a half-life. It's not a real life. You can't live in his world and he can't live in your world. And you're killing yourselves just to do it. And that's also not what love or life is about. And not what you would want for the one you love to live their life like. 
That yeah, was a tongue twister. exactly. I mean, the whole thing, it's not just a tongue twister, it's a heart twister. Ugh, anyways, Lyra, to get even more horribly philosophical and sad, talks to her death. Oh god, also sad, heart twister, tongue twister. Uh, her death says, I can get you in, but I can't get you out of the land of the dead. Yep. So I thought that this was, you know, speaking of the cinematography, like there were some really fun shots here and the way that they directed where people were in the scene because at, it starts with Lyra and her death looking in opposite directions, right? And they look kind of askance at one another um, until they finally agree. And when they agree and are on the same side and, and she's like, you were there when all these things happened to me and happened to Roger, they are looking in the same direction, right? So it, it kind of shows through their, their body placement that they're in agreement. Though poor Pan is very much disagreeing with Lyra's death and be like, no, I think I know her better excuse me and i also like that her death calls her by her true name lyra silvertongue and not balakwa yeah because she's her and she's her i love that uh it's great it's interesting i didn't know what i expected i honestly ex there's this black mirror episode where like if you block someone in real life they just like become this oh, shapeless yeah they become this shapeless like removed shape and that's kind of what i expected the deaths in my head for some reason to be like i watch too much tv and uh it wasn't and i like this better because they still like she is very much lyra right like her outfit is a muted demure version of lyra she still knows everything about lyra and it also makes me wonder like is this a type of like death sentence in a way but like a a work study for her in death right for her death like what else is her death doing uh how does someone get assigned to be someone's death i have questions yeah i guess i always kind of assumed that deaths work like demons mm -hmm. interesting you know they're just there you have one at uh, birth yeah yeah and like because I, granted in the show it might work a little differently but in the books apparently they kind of all look the same more or less practically so you're just born with like a man a fully grown man whose face is in shadow wearing shabby clothing and he's just there the whole time <laughs> that's what i assumed in the books not too far you're not too far so mary awakens to berries mary berry Oh, from the Great British Bake Off. Water and Atal. The offerings are so sweet. It's just like a nice first exchange between them. Uh, and uh-oh, she leaves behind her little blanket or towel thing. I'm guessing that will be how Gomez finds her scent later. Yep. Uh, because Marisa unfortunately did give away that there is going to be a tempter. And she said she wanted to find the tempter or mm. keep the temptress away from Lyra. Well, now Gomez might be like, huh, that's kind of smart. Did you think about that, Daddy President? Also, I didn't catch it first time because my head wasn't in it, but duh, it's berries, and Mary is eating the berries because, you know, Eden. Also the underworld in some aspects, but not here. But uh, the, the fruit of the garden. She's eating the fruit from the garden. Yeah, it was, it was a great tie-in to the role she's going to play later on, especially because in I don't know if they'll change the fruit, but it It'll probably be the same fruit, right? Because in, at the end of the Amber Spyglass, the kind of fruit that Lyra puts into Will's lips is a berry. Yeah, I mean, they're coming from that area. Their picnic comes yep, from there. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I think they told us in an interview that I guess the Malefa might not have wheels, probably, but I feel like I don't know that I remember that for sure, and I'm like, maybe they could still have wheels. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm being foolish, I'm being dumb, but... I don't think so. I, I believe. <laughs> so, Will, Lyra, and their dads go, and they see the ferryman. And then Dr. Cooper gets guilty drunk with her demon, and before she can do anything about this bomb situation, she's stung by Lord Roke, who steals the lock of hair back from her. Yeah, that was a big pour. It was a big pour, and uh, a lot of a lot broke. Oh, you and I were so disturbed. We both must like same time, like ah oh, no. <laughs> the the alcohol, what a waste. <laughs> that does provide context for how stressed she is, though. Like. Uh, coming yeah. back to a lot of what we said in season one, right, it does remind you of the Nazi doctors, right? The scientists of yes, like, Yes, oh. yes. But I was just taking orders, because here she is taking orders to the extreme and watching it up close, like, this is very stressful. And her huge pour shows, like, she was very conflicted over it. And I, I really do think, especially with how her and Coulter interfaced earlier before, you know, getting taken into custody, I, I think that there might be some sympathy for Coulter coming from her. I think Coulter might be appealing to her a little bit. Yeah, there is, there is. So I thought that was interesting because she was like, you always treated me really nicely. And I was like, fascinating. So then you have Mrs. Coulter burning Lyra's hair and deciding to find the intention craft and rain destruction into the magisterium. And again, I love that moment where she goes, destruction. Mm-hmm. You know, when she's burning the hair, it feels like is the monkey urging her to do so. Um, kind of like the salamander maybe urging MacPhail to like burn himself. I don't know. It's an, an aspect of like hurting themselves because she does bring up, are you still hurting yourself, Hugh? But I don't know. I think that might be me reading too much into it. But No, I think that kind of stands because... Uh, especially with the last episode, right? Like, there was a little bit of that flagellation, but she was doing it for Lyra. And I think you're onto something there, especially the, are you still hurting yourself, Hugh? Like, Mm-mm. are you still hurting yourself for this? For all of this? But Will and Lyra in the next scene are getting ready for a different kind of breakup. The kind of breakup where Lyra- Another hurt to- yourself. Yeah, another hurt yourself. Yeah, actually, though. Like, literally, yes. We're hurting ourselves as we watch this. <laughs> Total flagellation everywhere. Will and Lyra walk down the hallway right on the way out to the ferryman, and it's an amazing shot because there's something really neat happening here that I didn't notice on first watch, but on second watch it stood out. When it's face on, just Will and Lyra talking, you don't see Lyra's death. But then it goes in and it closes up on Lyra's face and then it kind of pulls out and you see her death. So it kind of gives you the idea of a point of view, right? That we're seeing Will's POV in the first shot and Lyra's in the second because Will can't see her death as we learn and she can't see his. He can't even see his, but Will can't see anything yet. Uh, Really amazing dreamy shot either way. Such great symmetry in that closed space and a wonderful use of light that makes it so much bigger inside than it probably is, but also smaller at the same time. Mm. And of course, when they finally come out of it, just a very, very gorgeous and sad shot. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're saying about the use of light kind of plays with you, right? Because she opens the doors and it's bright at first. And you always think of like this bright light when you die or whatever. Oh, like going towards the light. Yeah. Oh, my God. They are going towards the light. Oh, my God. Jesus, literally. <laughs> and, and then, uh, yeah, literally, but then, and then they're not, because uh, it's dark, and then it's real sad. Yeah. And back at the Magisterium, Marisa thinks she's going to escape, 
the magisterium, but she gets caught. She plans to take McPhail down with her, like, revealing in front of everyone, aha, he helped me kill the cardinal for his job, but he reveals his evil villain plan that she is required for the bomb and she's going nowhere. Great work comparing these two scenes once more with Lyra's next scene where she separates from her demon. Uh, just what he says, like, oh, and you too will be severed, Marisa, for my evil villain plan. <laughs> yeah, it was, I don't know, I thought it was a fun scene, and then, you know, she she had all that hope. All that hope, as she thought she was going to go get out of there. I even, I really love that scene preceding it for her, like, with Roke, where she's he's like, we have to go back to Azriel, and she's like, no, Lyra, 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 Lyra. Uh great character work going on and then i love this scene because she calls out their hypo- their hypocrisy right even though she's always known it she was born into the church she knows everything that goes on here and she always has exploited that and leveraged it in her favor right she tries to use that on him and it backfires but there's this satisfaction in her eye even while he has her bound and captive she has this look in her eye because she proved it she knew it was fake from day one. She knew they all knew. They were all playing by a different rule book that she was never even like eligible to play and win on. Right? She was never going mm-hmm. to win their way. Even if she played by their rules, they would make up new rules. And that's what they've always done. And in this moment, it proves it. She gets to yell about it to everyone, and I loved it. Yeah. And then when she's done yelling about it, you know, they, they silence her, and then he, he goes after her. He goes after her sex, you know? Like, it's... It's really something, but great work from Ruth Wilson acting, but also I think some great like body like acting as well from Will Keen. He had some really great annoyed um moments. But what I like and probably because like it was never going to work out, like obviously because we know how the story goes, but when she's calling out their hypocrisy, I don't know, I was kinda like, Marisa don't just tell them, you all know I'm telling you the truth. Look inside yourselves, you know it to be true, all right? She could have invoked Fra Pavel and been like, you want to know if I'm telling the truth? Ask the alethiometer, right? Like, that's a fail-safe way to be like, is it true or not? But, I mean, I, I guess it didn't matter because no one cared, right? They're all yeah. here and they're following him because he gives them prestige, he gives them power, their power flows through him. So, like, why would they go against him? And then... As you said, right, the hypocrisy, like, none of them really care about God, but, like, also neither did she, so, whatever. Yeah, they're all on the same page, and, yeah, I love that it's not even about the truth anymore. It never was. <laughs> Astronauts. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> shoot, shoot. So, Lyra then must separate from Pan, Ugh. and Will must also make an unseen sacrifice as they take the fairy to the land of the dead. And I, I, there was some fun moments, I get, maybe it was technically the earlier one. Right, where he threatens the guy. I thought, great job. Great job, Ferryman. Also fantastic acting on his part. Also great acting on, on Amir's part. And I love that he held the knife to and him. Daphne's, of course. Yeah. I loved it, especially because yeah. of the gun, right? The earlier scene with the gun, when he put it down, yeah. he's like, I can't. But here he's like, for her, I can. We have to do this. This is it. Uh, and... I, there was something also really great. What was it? When she like put Pan on the boat, she's like, he's small. He travels well. No. <laughs> she's like, he can come. Look, she's like, look, he's on the boat. It's fine. We do it all the time. It's fine. And then he's like, yeah, I mean, he can come on the boat. 
but the boat's just not going to go anywhere. She's trying to case. steer it. She's like, let me just pull the lever. He's like, you cannot pull this lever. It will not work. Only I can pull the lever. What don't you get, small child? <laughs> it was great. Horrible. Oh, uh, it, it, yeah, no, absolutely devastating. But uh, you brought up, this is something I forgot to say earlier in the episode. You brought up, you know, Will threatens the ferryman with a knife because he is a fighter, right? And... Uh, the gun earlier, but, like, he is a murderer, and as we remember, Lyra thought that was very cool of him last season and in the second book, and so I thought it was kind of funny that they had Lyra, like, questioning Will, like, you would go and work with Lord Azrael, you would yeah. side with a murderer, and I'm like, whoa, 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 I thought that was the appeal of Will. It felt very inconsistent, right, and it's interesting because it's not, um, it's not the first hypocrisy in these two episodes that she had, right? Because she had the part about her mom in the last episode in a way where she didn't say it, but she was like, Yorick, you know, you're still a good person, even though you did horrible, terrible things, and I still like you. And I'm like, yeah, you're so close, Lyra. Yorick's also a murderer. Yeah. Like, that's what she liked about Will, that he was like, Yorick, a murderer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it shows that pain with her parents and what they've done to put her in that kind of situation, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. If you don't Ugh. watch your show with subtitles on, you need to because there's further heartbreak yes. that you cannot hear happening in the background mm -hmm. in the first part of the scene where her and Pan are like fussing back and forth. And it's when Will is threatening the guy actually and talking to the guy. It's happening in the background. And then, then we focus on Lyra and Pan and there's the most heart-wrenching part. Oh, fucking Christ, I want to die. When she says, what about Roger and Sal? They never got a chance to grow up. I am so in pain. They didn't. They didn't get a chance they to didn't. live. And now Lyra has to live I mean, for them. Except for how Roger got way taller between the past few seasons, but we can't help that. Not even hell can escape puberty, Eliana. <laughs> well, puberty is the hell. <laughs> No, yeah, I, I agree. I was like, oh, I'm so glad I have these subtitles on when those scenes were happening. I was like, wait, am I glad? Now I'm in even more sadness. So. <laughs> and I love that they kept in the ferryman doing the thing where he's like, it's not, it's not like what? A rule. He's like, it's more like a law. And then he does the thing where he reaches in the water and then shows gravity. He's like, it's like this. Yeah, that's, I was really glad to actually see that. It's small. I, I like it. There was a lot of little yeah. bits from the ferryman in the book that did come through. Mm -hmm. They kept that very true to text, which I really appreciated. And so also, but something I was wondering, I guess he wasn't screaming in the books. Maybe he's just like being quiet to support Lyra because we didn't really see Will's pain mm -hmm. in that moment. Like, yeah, his literal physical pain because his soul is also being torn out. But he could be just playing it cool for Lyra. Now, I went back just because I wanted to kind of analyze that. And I feel like where the episode exactly ended was at the line when basically in the books, the prophecy is fulfilled, right? That Lyra's biggest betrayal mm, yes. is fulfilled. Yes. And that's where we ended the episode. Now, in the book, after that happens, the next part is... But Will, too, found an agony building inside him, and through the pain, he saw that the two Galavespians, clinging together just as he and Lyra were doing, see, they ruined it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, clinging together as he and Lyra were doing, were moved by the same anguish. Part of it was physical. It felt as if an iron hand had gripped his heart and was pulling it out between his ribs so that he pressed his hands to the place and vainly tried to hold it in. It was far deeper and far worse than the pain of losing his fingers, but it was mental 
too. Something secret and private was being dragged into the open where it had no wish to be, and Will was nearly overcome by a mixture of pain and shame and fear and self-reproach because he himself had caused it. And it was worse than that. It was as if he'd said, no, don't kill me. I'm frightened. Kill my mother instead. She doesn't matter. I don't love her. And as if she'd heard him say it and pretended she hadn't, so to spare his feelings, and etc., etc. So I'm wondering, what if we open the next episode on Will's reaction? Instead, because we had that POV change in the hallway where you see Will is talking and you don't see the death walking with them, but then you change to Lyra talking and you see the death. So I'm wondering if that little bit of POV play back and forth might give us the start of the episode with Will's reaction. I think, or I hope you're right, because I do, you know, like, I do understand why they ended it this way, because you can't just only have Will's pain, right? The focus here is on Lyra, and I think that was the strong choice to end this episode with. So I completely understand it. It was beautiful. It was it was amazing fucking gut-wrenching um but i think what you said like i i am hoping that they're gonna show it and i assume that they will because they did reference that it does happen you know in this one so yeah and i i I forgot that the passage goes like that it's very it's very 1984 when that guy's being tortured and he's like do it to i forgot that that other fucking person his lover instead yeah it's uh it's dark it's a very dark, yeah. and I mean, Will is dark, right? He has a very dark core to get into. He's, He's had a, a lot of pain. He's a murderer. Damn, Oathbreaker. <laughs> wait, that's the whoa, wrong series. Whoa, whoa, wait, wrong, wrong book. <laughs> uh, a different series, but he is. He's dark and complicated, and Lyra loves him. Yeah, and they're going through this horrible pain together, and this is horrible. This was so horrible. We're going through a horrible pain. I, dude, I was crying. I was crying. That was a fucking mess. My husband went to bed the whole because this keeps happening so late to us. My husband can't do the yeah. second episode, and I can barely do the second because I'm old. So uh, it's been quite a journey so far. I've had to rewatch the second episodes, especially just because like I'm falling asleep a little. But this this I didn't fall asleep through because I was too busy sobbing. Yeah, right? You're like, oh, that'll make wake me up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it only gets better. Yeah, I was like, it only, it's all downhill from here, huh? <laughs> God. Well, you know, we will be back next week to cover- Are you doing your secret Commonwealth stuff? Yep. Oh. We will be back next week to cover- the next episode cover the next two episodes and then we'll come back for those final last two episodes where it gets sadder and sadder that said uh we will be doing a quick discussion it's not going to be too deep it will be spoiling the outer trilogy the companion trilogy the books of dust la belle sauvage the secret commonwealth the sandwich trilogy the old sandwich so if you do not want to get spoiled for that please log off we don't want to get you too dusty and we'll see you next time yeah. So, discussion. Interesting that they have Marisa's mom dead. And I don't know if it'll actually matter that much, but in the book of Dust, number two, The Secret Commonwealth, which Eliana's really working on finishing, Marisa's mom is alive. Yeah. So that's interesting that this is, like, from her dead mom. And she it was implied that her mom's gone, I think, in season one as well. I noticed that then, too. So, and I think you could do... Uh, and I'm just 
spitballing on like their future plans i still think you could do secret commonwealth with her dead and use her dead in the same manner as horrible as that is we don't know what book of dust three mm-hmm. holds but i don't know I, I also think that lyra might meet her eventually but i think you could still do it if she's dead that said i agree i think you could still do it if she's dead and like play up more of i don't know the anecdotes from her uncle or also like it could it be that it's one of those things where granted then the magisterium would know she's alive but like is it something where maybe marisa's like she's dead to me you know right and not just that but because madame delamere is such a bitch such a horrible woman uh and put so many unfair expectations on marcel in the book like we learn that that he's very stressed about his mom like the it's all about marisa it is that little like axis in the relationship it's not about him his hatred for lyra comes from his sister because his sister who was supposed to be perfect and better than everyone then fucked off and ruined her life and he had to bear the brunt of it and be better than her and that stress from his mom so i think because of that i don't have an issue with that right like i'm like it can all come from him and that craziness can absolutely come exactly from him. yeah 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 i agree i agree I love that and, it makes her more legendary in that way. Like, she's a legendary evil character. Yeah. It could work. I think it could work. And then, I mean, a lot of people have been talking about this as well on, on Twitter, right, in general, of how there's a lot setting up the rift between Pan and Lyra and the Secret Commonwealth with, with the way that they're treating each other here. Like he said, like, you're leaving me. You made your mind up. That hurt. Oh, I felt that. I yeah. felt that in my fucking soul. I felt stabbed in the heart. They did a good job of really making it feel like a betrayal because mm-hmm. of that. And yeah, it, it really shows how that can play into the way that the relationship evolves or devolves, I don't know, later on. So I don't know. Great job. Great job, team. They did a great job of adapting some of the secret Commonwealth into this and this is only episode mm-hmm. four, which makes me think we're going to get a lot more secret Commonwealth drops throughout the rest of the season, which I think will connect it to possibly doing Books of Dust. I, I feel more open and more optimistic it could happen after these two episodes. Yeah. It's not off the table. I think that if it happened, it would mostly be like BBC driving it because I'm just saying that some of the way that HBO is doing some of their shows, etc. lately does not inspire confidence that they would be super interested in it. But I think yes. that BBC probably would. Yeah. And I absolutely look forward to watching it if they do. Exactly. You know, we we held it together. I think we held it together emotionally as we made our way no through tears, this episode. No tears, no so. tears. Thanks for listening. And yeah. I hope you have some Kleenex at home to wipe yours up with. Yep. And, you know, if you want to keep up with our episodes, we're pro- we are likely not going to drop, like, I don't know. Never mind. Ignore that. If you want to keep up with our episodes, um... As the series goes, right, and as we as we march our way towards the end, you can keep up with us on social media at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, that's C-A-N-O-N, or if you have anything that you would like to say to us, you can also, you can tweet at us or DM us or send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah, and as always, you can find us over on a platform near you that you like to listen to your podcasts. Be sure to like, follow, fave give us a review or two whatever you can do for us we would love it 
That's over at Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, iHeartRadio, Audible, Amazon Podcasts, Pandora, and many, many more. And somewhere that you can always find us is on Patreon.com, where these episodes do come out. But also, as we said, we have those bonus episodes of some of the other stories in the His Dark Materials universes, etc., and other analysis of things within that world. And that's available for patrons in the Stranger Tier and above, $5 and up. Yeah, and we also do some really special events for our patrons in the Thunder Tier and above, like our monthly brunch slash happy hour, which is taking place December 18th, 2022, from 2 to 4 p.m. ET. Phone the fuck home. And we also plan to have some Series 3 HTM discussions and rewatches going on in January with our patrons. So we really look forward to that and hope to see you there. Indeed, indeed. Well, thanks again for tuning in this week, and I don't know, I guess, like, feeling horrible (laughs) Uh, (laughs) with us. I have been one of your hosts, Eliana. And I've been another one of your hosts, Chloe. We will be back next week with some more heartache for you, and maybe even some stories for you, because I think we gotta tell them stories, right? Tell them stories. Uh, goodbye. Bye.